Hello, everybody. Welcome to the Energy News Beat Podcast. My name is Stu Turley, President and CEO of the Sandstone Group. The world's at war, and the war is coming to the United States. Buckle up and sit back and try to and listen to George McMillan. This is going to be our third podcast. He's got stories on the Energy News Beat uh, forward slash George McMillan, and you can go to the energynewsbeat.co and see all of his stories that he's been doing in our series. This is a critical podcast because we are going to cover really the seven P's. And as he goes through this, the seven P's are the professors, the priests, the prosecutors, the press, the police, the politicians, and the parents. All of these have different things that they mean, and they have been targeted. And I think as I was describing this, you could probably just think in your mind about all of these stories that are going on. With that, I'd like to introduce to you George McMillan. He's the CEO of G3 Strat. And I mean, you are an amazing resource for our uh, anybody that wants to know energy, geopolitical information, and I'm talking uh, head folks around the world listen to you, dude. Oh yeah, uh, we got that from your uh, yeah from your uh, you know from your website. You're tracking IP addresses to see where they're pinging from. Oh, I'll tell you what, uh, George, I am totally shocked. Not about you because you're brilliant. But your stories and your articles are being read, and they are being read from around the world. So, yeah, uh, in the in the capital cities, <laughs> absolutely. Uh, you and I were even talking about this. So let's go over the seven P's, and then after that, we're going to go through another piece here. The seven P's is critical for several reasons. Why don't we go ahead and kick you into them? Yeah, what we were talking about. You know the importance of uh, predictive modeling, and, and there's and there's different types. Um, in the in the first part of the paper, it opens up with uh, with Professor Fogel's chart of technology and population growth over time. So in that case, you you can measure economic growth rates of change versus population growth rates of change, and if they remain about equal, then you could have. Um, Do you want me to bring that up right now? Yeah, you could. Okay. I, just for a second, and then and then we'll get back to it. Okay, if that's possible. Uh, okay. Yep. So with this with this chart, it took about one hundred and fifty thousand years for hominids to get one billion people on the planet in eighteen eighteen oh four is what they say. They come up with an exact year, but let, let's just say eighteen hundred. Okay. So from eighteen hundred to twenty ten. We've hit about 7.9 billion. So the curve is basically going straight up right. from 1900 on. And if you go to the chart at the bottom, page 11. Yeah, there you go. Okay. okay. So here you go. You have a, um, all the population is in the developing world, meaning Latin America, Africa. So Africa would be Saharan Africa, Sahil, and Sub Saharan Africa. And and India is basically what you're talking about. Okay. The blue on the the blue on the bottom from okay. 1950 to is pre, you know all the way projected through 2050 
is pretty much been level, you know, since World War II. Wow. So all the growth, all the logarithmic growth is in the developing world. Yeah. If you go down to the chart just below. Wow. Yeah. This chart. Yeah. So this chart is more accurate. Yeah. It takes 150,000 years for us, for the hominids to get 1 billion people on the planet. And since then it's, it's, it's basically straight up. Wow. You know, 3 billion because people are wondering, okay, there's a number of things in this chart. And I want to keep it very simple for this conversation. Okay. The more that population growth exceeds economic growth, right? The more poverty you're going to have. Exactly. So, in truth, there's absolutely no country on the planet that's actually poverty stricken. Actually, most of them, or just about all of them, have plenty of natural resources on them if used properly for exactly. all countries to basically be well off. But George, let me just, I'm not going to change the subject. I'm just making an observation. There is no advanced countries without the use of natural gas and coal and low cost energy. So you have to make sure that, you know, the African countries that don't have the infrastructure don't have the advantage that the West has had for so long. So I just wanted to add that in there. You got to have low cost energy in order to get energy to the populace. Is that a fair statement? Yeah. Um, go back. So sorry to make you go back and forth between maps, but go okay. to the one at the top of the page. Okay. We'll go back to Fogel's chart. Just hit this real quick. Go down to the seven P's, talk about the seven P's and come back to it. Okay. Because so, yeah, people just need to see these charts first. So when we go down to the seven P's. Right there. Yeah. So, all right. When you get to technology and population growth over time, you're really talking about economic growth over population growth over time because people produce more with tools than without them. So what he's really talking about is economic growth over population growth. Right. But he tries to break it down to just just the two most simplest variables because when you when you start to build equations, you start adding variables and subfactors. Right. So he's he starts with two things that you then build out the equations for if you're starting to get to solo swan type models where you're talking about different innovations and how much that increases productivity, how much that increases GDP or GNP, depending on what you're trying to measure. So, of course, you can't have any technology without energy. Yep. If you start with you know, the, if you start with the Bronze and Iron Age, you need you need heat, you know, coal or wood-fired ovens to melt the metal and actually make, you know, well, and to melt the uh, the minerals to make the ore to make it steel or make it iron. Right. So even you needed some form of energy way back at, in the you know in the Bronze Age and the and the and the Iron Age just to get that far. Right. If you get into the industrial revolution, once the, you know, of course you needed these advances in metallurgy to build the steam engine, because steam engine is an externally combustible, combustible engine. Right. Within, um, you know, within 70 years, you had internal combustion engines, you know, diesel engine, gasoline engine, Rankle engine. 
So all of a sudden, technology started to increase very, very quickly. They quickly used steam engines to power railroads. Then all of a sudden, you could move a, a, a lot of resources, a lot of different places to get a lot of things done. And you had the Industrial Revolution. Right. You could get raw materials to industries. And of course, all that's powered with some form of energy. It was peat bogs and coal in England. Same thing in Germany. Right. Uh, and then the Russian natural gas, you know, natural gas was really used after what was that guy named uh, uh, Vims was his name on how to use natural gas powered engines. And yeah. what was that? The 1950s. Um, I, I, I'd have to look, you know, go back and look for our podcast. So, yeah. Yeah. For our podcast listeners, the dawn of the nuclear age really was in the 1945 range uh, because then nuclear power plants started coming in there. and then. Uh, George, this uh, graph with the economic and the population growing is almost straight up. This is like a uh, F-16 with full afterburner going straight up. Oh, yeah. Wow. Yeah. So uh, we'll get into it real quick and then I'll go back to it. What I start linking for my dependent variable and outcome measure is I'm linking economic rates of, rates of change over population growth rates of change. Because first world, first and second world, more developed countries are characterized by high, at higher economic growth and lower population growth proportions. The third, um, third and fourth world countries, fourth world countries being failed states, they're lower economic growth and much higher population growth. Right. So right there, I can get a dependent variable measure variable linked to an outcome measure. That covers the full range of possibilities of human behavior. Right. So with so you know a few things right off the bat. That a globally population growth is far exceeding economic growth. That means poverty is going sky high. Right. Even if you can get higher economic growth rates by putting capitalism everywhere. It won't matter because it's just going to be flooded by the flood of people. Right. So the whole world, the uh, wage labor equilibrium rate is plummeting despite drastic increase of global economic production. Mm -hmm. So that means that globally, every country is headed towards fourth world fail state status. Say that again. Yeah. Every country in the world is basically tending towards fourth world failed state status. Wow. That's what that chart means. So you get the two primary trends of technology and population growth over time. And since the 1950s, you're really talking about the 1970s for a whole bunch of different reasons. Right. Jobs started, move, you know, mass manufacturing facilities started moving south to take advantage, well, for a bunch of different reasons. One, when the factories were getting old in the north, it doesn't matter whether it's the United States, Canada, or, or Europe. Right. The big multinationals were like, okay, we need to build new factories, but not factories all over the world. They started putting their factories closest to the raw material sources. Right. In the Southern Hemisphere, they, they built these mega factories so they could escape paying the unions and take advantage of cheap labor. 
be closer to the raw materials, produce the finished product so it maximizes. Uh, so these other countries start economically developing. Right. And then you can ship from a central shipping point. So logistically, it makes perfect sense to move those jobs. And a whole bunch of people were start were arguing that there was, you know, back in the 30s and 40s, you had uh, dependency theorists and, and people like that starting to um, uh, argue that they needed to move more jobs. A little aside here, the, the left, Robert Reich, it could have been Lim Blum and Dahl from Yale, the, the left of linking, uh, you know, the old Democrats that, that lean towards really socialism, were saying, oh, unions, we need to unionize everybody and collect the bargaining rights and all of this. This has bearing on the on the conversation down below. They they were arguing for that for the longest, and then what what the what the corporations actually did was just move the job south, and then you got people moving north. So that combination kind of broke the the labor unions. But now we got a mass migration problem. the The first world countries are undeveloping, right? Moving away from industrial sector jobs to service the rich moving the manufacturing jobs south, but then the people are coming north to further saturate those income rates. So we have, there's just a, a lot of things going on, but globally what's occurring is the world is going through a, a wage labor equilibrium process with the two secondary trends of jobs moving south, people moving north, but with the, with the rise, with the logarithmic population growth, that wage labor rate is plummeting, means that meaning that all the countries in the world are right now are headed towards fourth world fail state status. All right. I don't want to get into the other methodologies there. Let's yeah. go down okay. to the seven Ps and talk about why this is important and why I want people to know that general fact pattern going into the seven Ps. So that would be on, on page two. Yeah, just so people can. And just uh, read through it a little bit for the people that have you know big enough screens. Okay, Marx's theory, and and this is explained below, and and people can can download the PDF on uh, g3insights.com. Okay. All right. I'm just going to just verbally explain it. They can get the systematic explanation off the documents when they download them. Okay. So. The, uh, at first, Marx and Engels was really concerned about taking over the means of production. After the Bolshevik Revolution, they, um, yeah, sorry about that. After the Bolshevik Revolution, when they were trying to take, uh, the, when the communists were trying to take a society and transform it the rest of the way. Right. Gramsci and Lukash, uh, Gramsci being from Italy, went to, uh, you know, went, made several trips to Moscow. So did Lukash from Hungary. And, and along with Trotsky and the other Bolsheviks and, and, and leading communists at the time, we're, we're trying to figure out how to transform societies. So they basically had a list of institutions that they needed to take over. And they wanted to make it make sure that nobody uh, could preach Christianity. 
Okay, and in Russia, it would have been Orthodox Christianity, right? Or in in other parts of the country, in other parts of you know uh, Central and Eastern Europe, it'd be Catholicism, but Christianity. Well, okay, the other Russian republics would be would be Islamic, so and it didn't matter. So they wanted to get into these institution institutions and replace it all with Marxist thought. So they wanted to start off with uh, uh, Daniel Pipes put this, you know, from Middle East Forum in 2015, put it into a 5P, but we kind of adjusted it to a, a 7P. Okay. But just to throw out a citation towards him, because that's where I first read it. Okay. Uh, make sure I don't plagiarize anybody else's material. He has a very good uh, website there with Middle East Forum. The, the first one's a professor's, meaning... All the educators from, you know, from kindergarten all through, you know, all through PhD level. And they would just want to teach Marxism. And we'll get to that in a second. The second one was you're going to replace the priests. So you're going to you're going to put a Marxist bent on that, that they, you know, throw out most of the Bible, go to Mark chapter four, teach everybody to be do gooders and hand everything out else out equally. Right. So he's going to throw out 98% of it. And the goal is to create people that are jellyfish. Okay. If I could just simplify it like that. So let's get to the, uh, so the next thing that they wanted to do is take over the law schools to train all the judges. Wow. To promote Marxism. So that means all all government attorneys, you know, uh, prosecutors up there, but it means all government attorneys. Justices, judges, you know, the whole the whole way up. This will make more sense when I get to the bottom and talk about Rousseau's theory. Then uh, the next one's the press. So you're talking about taking everybody from journal from journalism school. Again, these people start out in college and then branch into these professions. So if you start out with the university system, you're retraining all the teachers that go into kindergarten grade school, middle school, high school, and then university system. Right. Then you're training these people to go out and become journalists, lawyers, everything else. So you're trying to take over the judicial institutions, the press. Then we go, okay, most politicians go to college. So you're also retraining the politicians. Then you get into the police. Most the early left-wing movements were put um, in the, okay, from 1848 revolution to the early communist revolutions in Bavaria and some other places. The police and the military always put them down. Or, you know, Paris Commune, all those. So eventually the military and police, uh, the rulers, put them down using those, uh, those units. So police in this case means all gun carriers, military police, private security. And of course, they don't want any Marxists don't believe in property rights. So they definitely don't believe in private firearm ownership. So, uh, okay, sorry. Oh, go ahead. No, I've got some questions, but I'm going to let you finish here. Okay. so the seventh one is the parents. Right. In this case, Marxism is an internationalist movement real quick. The first ideological person was Kant talking about 
if you expanded free markets and education, because Lutherism was very pro uh, mass literacy and education, he was like, well, if you educate everybody to be self-reasoning and self-governing, then we could move towards democratic forms of government, of self-autonomy. So they don't need to be uh, heteronymously ruled by by authoritarian governments. Right. So you get an autonomy, heteronomy distinction. So then he realized if you could make Europe more, move it towards uh, democratic processes. So again, if you have a ruler of one, rule of the few, rule of the many, and in Aristotle's um, high to low consensus scale, he's talking about, you know, every ruler has um has a has some kind of council so you never really have rule of the one it's right. rule of the when you're talking about rule of the one you're really you're talking about rule of the very few then an aristocracy is a rule of the few and then having more people involved would be a rule of the many but it's still uh according to robert michelle's iron law of oligarchy theory and the, he put that forth in the um early part of the 20th century, you never really get a big, that big of an, uh, a consensus scale, even if you have a democracy. Mm. So in this case, he reasoned that you could have a world full of democracies if you could push people, if you could educate more people and then open up the consensus scale of who participates in voting. Right. Marx or Hegel didn't think that would work. He thought you always had to have a strong state to um to mediate between the rich and the poor then marx turns hegel on its head and thinks you have to have a communist state a very strong rule and get people to be self-governing that way and it it's it's dependent on having an infinitely malleable person that once you train them over a generation or two right then that that will perpetuate which is a totally false dilemma because people have instinctual drives the other, okay, there's two, you can kind of get into evolutionary psychology here, and then I want to go someplace with this. Okay. You've got a hardwired instinctual drive premise, a domain-specific premise is what you call it in evolutionary psychology. Marx's theory is based on a domain general premise that thinks that once you train people, then they'll act that way forever. So right. that's, the, that's the goal. Now, the, the domain-specific premise is right. Uh, Steven Pinker wrote the book in 2002 that all the human social sciences should be based on the domain-specific theory, but instead they're based on the domain general, domain general theory. He doesn't know why. I know why. We're gonna, we won't get into it in this, in this one, but another one. So the idea was, for, for Marx, you've got to break people away from the parents so they can break away from their Christian roots. And also he wants an international communist movement. So he doesn't want national socialism like like the Vienna uh, painter or Mussolini. He wants international communism or international socialism. So for him, he wants to break down the family relationship to break down clan and ethnic identities Right. So nationalism won't occur. So people will go straight into internationalism. 
Wow. So those aspects of it still exist. What you're describing is what the WEF, the W, the WHO, and the UN, and all those things are already in uh, process is what you're describing. And I want to just throw this at, and then we can keep going. But of the seven Ps, the Second Amendment is the about is holding up the police from being done. And then you have uh, the priests. A lot of them have been taken up, but there's still a lot of priests that are not uh, controlled. Um, and you look at the professors, I'd have to say a gigantic chunk of the education system is gone, is already checked. Um, the politicians, I think it's um, it's 60, 40, 60% is now in the other, in that camp. I mean, I, there's a lot of folks. So they almost have this entire methodology done. Yeah. We're, we're within uh, 15 minutes of losing the country. Yeah. Is that I, I want to... I want to say something that's really important here, and people are really confused by it, and they shouldn't be. Okay. A lot of people have seen their Yuri Bezmenov videos done in the mid-80s. Right. Where he talks about the Soviet plan to come in and, and start uh, demoralizing the country is what, is what he is the term he used. Right. And someone even been posting that on on LinkedIn the past few years and we're like, oh, the Russians are still uh, are still doing this. Wow, this is really scary. All right. I'm just going to just say it. This stuff is really stupid. Um, <laughs> this was done by the time Yuri Bezmenov was speaking. It was already done. Right. And what I mean by that, if people go um, and read Tubi and Cosmetes, The Psychological Foundations of Culture, written in 1992. Yep. They talk about how once the 1960s liberals got into the Western University and started taking over the department chairs, they took away the scientific method. Mm. So what they argue, okay, for one thing, they argue everything should be on a domain general, I mean, a domain specific premise, because they're evolutionary theorists, not a domain general. Then they don't know why the social sciences are just a chaotic mess. But they're talking about how they went in reverse. Again, long, long discussion. Because we're talking about the first P, the professors. So then they don't know how to fix it but they're fed up with the university system. They had been studying under uh, E.O. Wilson at Harvard in the animals and the, um, uh, in, in, in different, uh, uh, different biological evolutionary studies. So they don't know why in the physical sciences, you know, physics and engineering, everything went to, um, went to scientific modeling decades ago. Same thing with biology. And then as biology goes into evolutionary theory, after Watson and Crick had uh, developed, you know, the DNA profiles, 
Right. And you got DNA testing, you know, in the 80s, 90s, it started to get a lot better. You could actually go back to uh, bones of different animals and start or actually uh, start checking migration paths of people and start figuring out a whole bunch of things in evolutionary theory. You can confirm them. Basically, you could confirm 10% of the theories and throw 90% of them out. Right. So the field of evolutionary psychology after the discovery of DNA and after Freudian psychology, the combination, really got to be very accurate. So then they want to know why they call it an integrated causal model of evolutionary biology and evolutionary psychology. So they're saying as soon as evolutionary psychology gets into social psychology, the social sciences become just an absolute chaotic mess. And they are. Right. Actually, there's no reason for that. In my other papers, getting a unification of social sciences to break it down into a series of basically electrical schematics is actually very easy. Wow. You take, there's only two people that wrote on the foundational political, economic, and geopolitical levels. Human Smith versus Marx and Engels. Hmm. Marx and Engels actually wrote on the geopolitical level as well of, of how the world goes through, you know, dialectical materialism and, and, and gets to communism. I just explained that before. And the other one was Kant. So I throw Kant's um, geopolitical end state in that top level of, of the Hume-Smith-Kant model versus a Marx-Engels model, if you're trying to complete that matrix comparison. Okay. Well, once communism fell, you should take, you should be able to get rid of all the Marx-Engels, Rousseau-Marx-Engels philosophical theory on the abstract philosophical level of ultimate cause, and then go down to the social sciences and eliminate all the Marxian social sciences that deal with proximate cause pertaining to their discipline. Yeah. And then get your measurement system to match the Hume, you know, the Hume Smith model, but updated empirical uh, frameworks. The university system did the opposite. It got rid of the free market systems, more or less, mostly. Right. Adopted the Marx-Engel system with the infinitely malleable domain general premise and got rid of the measurement systems, too. Huh. So now the university system doesn't have a self-correcting scientific process of competing hypotheses and measurement systems to work with. It's just it's in this dead spin lost loop where they can't course correct. There's no hope for it. Wow. And the fix is really, really, really easy. Go to I already got school. it. I already got it on my um on my unified behavioral theory page. I already got it on that's been up for years now. I I, I did that at Tim's office when I was home from Iraq. Okay. So with Tubi and Cosmetis integrated causal model 
of biology and evolutionary psychology. And I already had the, the dependent variable and independent variable of economic rates of change over population growth rates of change, which right. comes from Robert Fogel. I, he won a Nobel in 92, I think it was. So if, if you do that, and you already have the four category geopolitical form model. Right. Well, that's following Seymour Lipset's format that he talked about in some social requisites for democracy. And I, that was in political science. I think it was in 1959. Okay. He talked about democracy, economic growth indicators, and how to move countries from being third world to um, second and third world status. Right. Okay. So all I did, and this is really simple, was, in fact, Lipset even talks about it at the end of the article. He starts talking about Aristotle's six forms of government. Right. So what I did was very, very simple. I took Aristotle's six forms of government related to per capita GNP function because in the 60s and 70s, you, you had Rostow's economic growth theories. You know, then you had solo swan models. Then you had general equilibrium theories. All these, right? All these frameworks started to come out in, in the sixties and seventies and eighties, and these guys all got Nobel prizes for them. Right. So I could take the complex mathematics, boil it down to a GNP per capita GNP ratio. Again, I don't want to use GDP ratio because oh, yeah. I'm not measuring GDP as a specific measurement for countries. I just want to use it as a signification uh, to signify economic growth rates okay. of change over population growth rates of change on a global scale. And that makes sense. And then you relate it. So you got the four categories of, uh, of the geopolitical form model, right. which has the full range of possibilities on the outcome measure end. Right. You got... The economic growth over population growth ratio, and then you got Aristotle's six forms of government. But what I really want to focus is on is is the is the low to high consensus scale ratio because then you got two measurement sticks where your wage labor equilibrium rate is your water level. Wow! Like think of it as a pool. Right. Okay. So you got two measurement sticks. Whatever your wage labor equilibrium rate is, is going to dictate which government form you get. Okay, there's other factors, and I got other frameworks in the model to account for that. Okay. And you got an outcome measure, and wherever that water level is, is basically the government and the geopolitical form you're going to get. Okay. There might be 10 years or 20 years of lag time in there, but eventually it's going to level out. So once you know that they've that the, our government or that the university system discarded the accurate theories of human behavior right and then focused on the exact opposite the worst theories of human behavior and throughout the measurement systems there's and no, they did this there's no check and balance now anymore yeah and they did this by the 80s going into the 90s yeah because the first set of liberal professors weren't that bad but their students keep on weeding out conservatives if that's right. not obvious to everybody yep so each 
every decade they weed out more and more conservatives out of the yeah. university system. So any self-correcting course is gone is is weeded out. Okay, why did I explain that? You know, we're going to go back to the seven P's. Okay. Now you have income disparity. Okay. You have growing income disparity now. And so they think it's the Marxist system rather than, no, the Hume-Smith model is right, updated with modern economics, of course. Right. But population growth is way exceeding economic growth globally. So even with higher economic growth rates, I mean, just look at those, just look at those charts on the bottom. It, it goes straight up. Right. That's yeah, just give down. people just give people a minute to look at that. Oh, yeah. And we're looking at the size of the world population over the last 12,000 years, starting in 10,000 BC, all the way up to nine. You go from, I mean, take a look at it at year zero, um, 190 million. You, you, Fast forward into the 14th century, we have 600 million, and boy, it shoots up from there. Holy smokes. Yeah. So I could have put some other charts in this. I, I didn't. Uh, that blues, okay. Yeah. You know, that one, of course, yeah, th that doesn't show you where they come from, but. It's all from Latin America, mostly Central America, actually, and all all three all three regions of Africa and then India. Okay, we are um, there are. I know that we're we're talking theories, and I know that we're talking migrations. We're talking about the death of the West into uh, fourth world living by the equilibrium of balance between wage and economic growth. Yeah. So as we look at this, George, this is explaining an awful lot of everything that's going on in the West right now. Now, we have, if we have someone like, let's say President Trump does win the election, the President Biden and their crew are doing everything in their power through the judges, through the, the legal system that you described. The, the, and if he, was, if he wins, he's going to need a transition team in order to weed out the theories because you have pointed out that if you're going to understand where they've been, it's not being talked about now. Is all of this a fair statement? Yes. So the Trump trans transition team needs this kind of guidance if Trump is elected. The other part of this is the absolute need and understanding that the migration is planned and being funded. There are so many articles, even uh, Fox News announced that the UN was funding this, that Michael Yon and I talked about 
several weeks. You know, I mean, he's he's been on this with you in Panama that you're saying this is being funded by the UN and all the other type organizations. Where I'm just trying to get everybody up to date, and I know there's a difference between news, as we you and I had talked about, current events, and understanding why. And I think in some of our next conversations, we'll be going into some more of that. Yeah. But but if you had to the current administration or the next administration, what would your thought process be in this kind of environment? We know the seven Ps. We, yeah. know, we know that the seven Ps are here. We know that they've almost taken control of the seven Ps. Um, there is a gigantic movement from the parents uh, to take control of their kids. And they found out that COVID, um, what that was being taught, nobody really was paying attention. The homeschool movement is really going and people are getting out of the public schools. And we can see the war on the parents with the FBI chasing down which goes to the police, the chasing down the people that are standing up at school board meetings. We've already been seeing all of this. Yeah. The Second Amendment is the only thing standing in the way of the police. And you can tell by the pre this administration that they were defunding the police. And that's almost worked. I mean, this is frightening, George. Yeah, there's... Oh boy, um, yeah, we're opening up a lot of cans, can of worms. We're, you know, we're gonna have to have as many videos you can do on this. Let's let's do them because there's just the reason. The, um, Loretta Lynch and A.G. Holder. The reason I brought all this up, George, was because that? I wanted, the reason I brought all this up is to tee this up for our next conversation yeah. and put a really gigantic hook in here for the standpoint that this we are running out of time as a country if people don't pay attention to it and there's all this theoretical modeling is is my combination of models i only have it because i worked on it for decades right on how to laterally integrate the disciplines why because just the this that the social sciences are a chaotic mess. And like I said, it's for no reason. All they needed to do was just bump up what Seymour Lipset did in 1959. Right. You had Herbert Gintis, who spent his, his you know, last 20 years, you know, in, in retirement. He, he died last January. I was trying to, I was, I was trying to get a meeting with him, but I, um, cause he's been trying to do this his whole I life. Hope, yeah. I hope you don't get a meeting with him now. Yeah. Yeah. yeah well, <laughs> yeah, seriously. <laughs> um, but yeah, you know, I, I was in Iraq or, you know, working overseas and Afghanistan, I, I, I couldn't really come back and, and, and get with him and kind of arrange that, or I don't know, maybe he might hate my guts. I have no idea. So the, uh, the people had been, uh, people have been talking about how the United, how the, uh, Western university systems been destroyed for decades. Right. So I worked on it to fix it. And by the time I'm going to talk to different people about it, uh, yeah, Herbert Gentis died 
in January 5th, I think it was. Right. Of, of last year. And then Barkley Rosser died. So my Hume Smith versus, I, I did get to talk to Barkley Rosser. And I, I got stuck by doing this geopolitical stuff. And then when I went back to talk to him, he had died. <laughs> uh, so I'm not having good luck here. Uh, okay. Uh, I'm like Angela Lansbury, I guess. I don't know. <laughs> so, again, my Hume Smith model versus Marx Engels is the biggest ideological comparative systems analysis around, and they don't do it. I was just looking at something on LinkedIn I sent it to you before because um, they were talking about somebody had started talking about Walter Durante covering up for. The uh, the Holodomor in Ukraine in the 20s and 30s, and she had mentioned that Walter Durante had was covering up and writing it for the New York Times, and they and the New York Times you know nominated him for a Pulitzer Prize that he won, and they covered up the Russian famine. You know Walter Durante had covered up the Russian famine and covered up the Holodomor. So you're talking about I don't know. The estimates are out there like 20 or 30 million people died. So Walter Durante was covering up 20 or 30 million deaths between Russia and Ukraine to talk about how great communism was in the belief that it was going to succeed and create the utopian society. Right. And of course, the inference is now the media in the media hasn't changed. It does the same thing. Right. Uh, uh, Brett Weinstein was talking about he thinks the the total amount of deaths from the COVID vaccine is about 17 million, far exceeding wow. the deaths from actual COVID. <laughs> right. The vaccines did what Bill Gates said they would. Yeah. And then we don't, we still don't know what the fallout of that is. No. With myocarditis and stuff like that, different heart diseases, myocarditis. The um, so now the whole university system has is producing nothing but Walter Durantes. So when you go through the seven P's again, because people probably forgot what they are, you know, it's the professors, the priests, the prosecutors, the press, and then the politicians, the police and the parents. Right. So they've got they've got most of the seven P's already. So that it really comes down to taking over the uh, let's just let's just talk about the politicians. They only need to take over a few more. They only need to turn a few more red states blue. So you'll never have a Republican president ever again. Right. Tucker Carlson's talking about it. The You know, um, Doc Pete Chambers talked about it on Alex's show with T Tucker Carlson again. Right. The mass invasion is to turn a few more red states blue. So they'll have the politicians locked up with that. They'll have the Supreme Court nominations locked up, locked up. So then they can practice incremental socialism by taking away property rights again and, and diminish. Well, the second first first and second memos will go out the window and then and, and the fourth and the all of them, all of them. And then the central bank currency, uh, digital currency will just yeah. wipe everything else out. I need to make one point here that's crucial. Okay. Very crucial. Leftism started with Rousseau's essay on inequality. Right. He argued 
that the creation of, and, and complete opposite to what Adam Smith had argued, he was arguing, in fact, while Adam Smith wrote down his theories in, to controvert Rousseau. Right. But he was arguing that there is the creation of property rights that uh, allowed men, you know, men to oppress other men. So that created class distinctions and inequality. And then marital rights allowed men to subjugate women and create gender inequality. Yeah. And because thou shalt not steal and thou shalt not commit adultery is in the Ten Commandments, he then attributed all inequalities to the Abrahamic religions. Uh, yeah, so, he had been in my household, though. So therefore, you got to go to, if you go to atheism and get rid of marital rights and property rights, right? you're then going to go back to equality and, and utopia. Oh, wow. Okay. So Marx wow. radicalized Rousseau and create an economic and political structure for it. And then they tested it, and bureaucrats and rulers act nothing like what they thought. What, what occurred with Bolshevism is one ethnic group settled age-old scores with the other ethnic groups and wiped out tens of millions. Wow. So there was no benevolent. It just turned into, we're in charge. You wiped us out three, five, six hundred years ago. Now we're going to wipe you guys out. That's all that happened. There was no utopianism. It was just East, Eastern de uh, despotism, exactly what Leo Strauss said it was. Right. So there is, Marxism wasn't this new form of government. It goes straight back. It, it's just Aristotle's perverted forms of government of tyranny and despotism. They're, you know, and creating a few generations of this doesn't create the utopian person. It creates, well, in, in from scale, the sadomastic, not the productive character orientation that creates uh, a constructive behavioral dynamic. Uh, just for the general audience, think about Jocko Willink's on leadership kind of constructive behavioral dynamics. I don't want to get too much into psychological theory, but it created the, psycho, the uh, sadomasochistic profile where everybody blames each other up. You either have super sadistic people or super passive people. Super passive, aggressive people don't work. So your economy drops. So your character orientation of, of, of your society correlates directly to Aristotle's six forms of government. That's a behavioral dynamic. In psychology and economics, you have virtuous, virtuous versus vicious cycles. So you have a vicious cycle, not a virtuous cycle. So then on your geopolitical scale, you're, you're non-optimal in, in certain areas. Okay. So Russia may, or the Soviet Union may have been a superpower, but their living standards were way suboptimal. Right. Thank so you can be a first world country in some aspects, but a third world in others. You know, there's different continuums in, in, in these things. Right. So all of all of 
every time you have a failed Marxist experiment, they rebrand they rebrand Marxism, but the constant is always Rousseau's get rid of marital rights, property rights, and get rid of religion. So marital rights, prop, property rights, and atheism. So wow. now we're at, we're in a secular country. They want to flood this country, change a few states blue, get rid of the ten command uh, ten ten amendments and right. and the ten commandments and the ten commandments. Yeah, and wipe out. You know they're flooding Europe too, so they're doing doing the same thing in Western Europe. But after the fall of communism. Putin and the Russian nationalists reinstituted, started spending billions of dollars to reinstitute the Orthodox Church. Right. In the Russian speaking areas. In the other oblasts, since they're Islamists, well, since they're Islamic, the Saudis have been spending billions and building mosques in those areas. Wow. They're trying to keep them not from being the radical mosques like you have in Pakistan. I don't know how well that's working out. But anyway, you have this tremendous turn of religion in in the Marxist countries to try to fix them because it's not an it's not a psychologically stable strategy and it's not an evolutionary stable strategy as far as the you know the family unit is, is an evolutionary stable strategy. Right. So we have Okay, Douglas Murray's book was The Strange, you know, Death of Europe. So you have that occurring here. They're trying to take over the school system here. And like you said, the COVID, with parents seeing what the kids were learning in schools, has what started this backlash here. Had they not been listening into the what the kids have been taught, they would have never known this. So then um, if the if the far left is destroying the United States and trying to flip it, you have the neocons trying to destroy Russia at the same time. The, the goal is to wipe out Christianity on both continents. That's the goal. No yeah. one's talked about this. Right. So again, we need to go over the seven Ps on our next show. Okay. In a little bit more detail, but this is a good overview to get people into the discussion because you got the 7P plan and you got the population plan. So they want to bring the third worlders up that will then vote for handouts, welfare. Right. Okay. And they're giving it to them. I mean, and they're giving it to them. We're $34 trillion in debt, four times that if you include the the unfunded mandates right. of, for Social Security. So people think that you're going to get, you're going to bring these migrants in and they're going to get their social security, or you're going to bring these migrants in and they're going to pay it, pay off everybody's social security, the baby boomers that are retiring. In reality, that money's spent and people aren't going to get both. They're going to get one or the other and they voted for massive immigration. Their social security is going to go to welfare spending now. That's right. Because the left... If they wanted to bring people in to pay off the Social Security, they wouldn't be giving them welfare. They'd be making them work. Right. But because they're prioritizing, inducing people to bring people in, that means they're more, their highest priority is to take over 
the politicians. Right. And is not to pay off everybody's Social Security. No. So it's going to accelerate the bankruptcy of the United States. So it's the Cloward and Piven plan. Wow. So when you take over these P's, the other dominoes fall. Right. And, you know, that's the part that we need to get into deeper with this discussion, because, as you know, I was down with Michael Yan. He's been tracking the boots on the ground. We need to go over the different academicians that are talking about this. Right. Or subfield theorists, because there's no lateral integration except for mine. Right. So they don't know the collateral effects of the other fields. So you get different economists talking about, well, if you move people here and there, you're decreasing inequality by, I mean, some infinitesimal amount. Right. But they don't know about the 7P plan, so they don't know that they're contributing to that. They don't know what their orders are. Same thing in the military. They're told to do stuff, but they don't know what the geopolitical theories are, so they don't really know why they're doing it. So that's why we we want to get the 7P plan out. Okay. And the geopolitical energy things out. We got a, uh, a lot of videos to do. Right. We'll start again uh, tomorrow. Uh, <laughs> this will go out probably tomorrow. Yeah. Um, and we will have this out and we'll film again. But this series is getting, uh, for me, George, I just want to be honest that I'm sitting here. And even though we're in order to understand the theories of what's going on, this education for me is phenomenal. Yeah. I mean, you can sit here and just put uh, all of these things and go, that's been going on for 10 years. That's been going on. And if you don't know that it's going on and why the models are going like this, if you're going to come in and you're going to come in to do anything, you need to know these forward models and be able to predict ahead of time the right and the conservatives have been behind the ball all along. And I do see some good things that are people are starting to wake up. And I think that it's it's going to get ugly as the left sits back and goes, wait a minute. I think the Green New Deal, it really did accelerate all this because it increased the price of energy. When you increase the price of energy, it exacerbates all this other stuff. I mean, the deindustrialization of Germany has been going on. So goes Germany, so goes the uh, GDP of the EU. So this is all encompassing, George, and I just really appreciate you. So, yeah, we so many things to talk about when you. One problem on our side is people tend to think everything is a monolith, but like we were talking about, it's really a whole bunch of fiefdoms in different right. in different domains. So we need to talk about um, the different political factions, both here and in Europe, right? Or the different Shia versus Sunni factions and right. ethnic groups in the Middle East, and you get all these different factions that are doing different things. They all have their own little strategic plans. So that's what that's what this series of papers is about. Right. You know, if people want to read it online, again, it's 
uh, g3insights.com. I think my website is functional now. Um, if not, it will be soon. Yeah, I mean, the conversations are always going to be haphazard, but the systematic inve- investigation of presenting it, of controlling one variable at a time right. is, is in written form. Conversations, you know, we say we'll talk about this. We always end up talking about something else or, you know, whatever. Um, there's so right. much to talk about. It doesn't matter as, as, as long as we get more stuff out there. But yeah, so the urgency of now of flooding the border is because if Trump wins here, right. well, wait, let me back up. Had Hillary won the 2016 election, they would have been nominating the Supreme Court justices and right. everything would have already been gone. So they had they basically had the ball on the one yard line and were about to punch it in the end zone. And then Trump came along without knowing any of this, stopped it. Right. By chance, really. So then now they still have the ball maybe on the two yard line, but it only moved back a yard. Right. I mean, they're still about to punch it in the end zone. Now it looks like Trump's going to win again. I, I think the only way he will lose is if they cheat like they did the last time. Yeah, they're going to have to influence the election. Right. Heavily. Yes. I um uh, yeah, well, I I, I want to make sure we don't get any I don't want to make sure we don't get any strikes. I I, I don't care anymore. Yeah. So <laughs> but I was I I was glancing through the channel yesterday. Yep. And I was looking for the Australian Open to watch last night and I ran across CNN and somebody was talking about, oh, the the farmers movement in in Berlin and Paris, they've been co-opted by the far right. They've been co-opted by the far. They had this hour long conversation about this. You were just talking about. They are so much against the blue collar worker. Right. And again, where this paper ends up is talking about Professor uh, Danusha. Gaska, she, I don't know if she's still teaching at William Pattern University in Northern New Jersey or not, but she had written a series of papers since 2014 about why I'm no longer a leftist and why the left couldn't convert the blue collar workers to become socialists. Right. Their collective bargaining agreements where they were just fine with it. They were getting good, solid wages from General Motors and Ford and all that. Right. And they, they were still Catholic or, or Protestant, and they really just wanted to stay that way, and everything was just fine. I mean, that's always been the problem of the labor unions in, in, the, in the United States, you know, from the leftist perspective, is they wouldn't go full Marxist. They just wanted a good CBA. Right. So she was talking about after the blue-collar workers started voting, well, they didn't like the 1960s liberals. Right. So they voted for Reagan. Then they voted for Bush and Bush and then Trump. Right. So during this phase, once they started, once they started having the Reagan Democrats, they started importing the proletariat. Right. So setting up the different um, UN organizations, UNHCR, UNICEF, um, IOM. Red Cross. (laughs) Red Cross, Red Crescent, Doctors Without Borders. Yeah, they do this all over the world to move people north. I mean, I, I went down there with Michael Yon, but I mean, you know, Michael Yon has been all over the world. I, I work all over the world. 
So to me, it's like, okay, well, all right, they're doing it over here now. I mean, it it, it was you saw the same groups all over. It's all the same groups. Yeah, doing this all over the world, but in the United States, it's the seven P plan. Same thing. Something. Well, it's the same seven P plan operationalized slightly differently for their for the European right. parliaments instead of the tripartite government we have here. So it's a slightly different strategy, but it's the same general strategy. And if the AFD wins or uh, Marie Le Pen wins in France, AFD wins in Germany, and Trump wins here, then they, for a lot of different reasons, they're uh, it's going to push them back. They're on the two-yard line. Is that going to push them back to the 10-yard line, the 20-yard line, or whatever? But I just want to break this is going to be a continual fight. Oh, yeah. People think, oh, Trump is going to come in and fix everything. No, it's going uh, to be no. a tough road. Uh, yeah. No. Yes. And if he doesn't have the information, uh, if g- the government agencies don't understand what was broken, he didn't understand what was as he did not understand how deep it was broken the first time. No, the university system is destroyed. People don't know why it's destroyed and what the extent is. So I tell everybody, read Tubi and Cosmetes, The Psychological Foundations of Culture. Also read Alan Bloom's The Closing of the American Mind, because the two books parallel each other. Right. And, and I want to give you one. Uh, also, Dr. Uh, Stanley Ridgely, I interviewed, uh, he is a... Uh, professor, and his book is Brutal Mind, The Failure of the University System. Okay. He is more uh, cultural right now. He doesn't have the theories that you do, but it's an absolutely outstanding book. I'll send you both an email. You guys would have some fun if you guys talk. I do overarching causal systems. Right. I look for people like that that are experts in certain fields for the empirical evidence of it right so yeah i mean that's why i like to get subject matter experts in different areas because if i mean just look at the gaslighting that's on you know the the quotes negative comments i get i mean are just absolutely stupid i mean they are dunning kruger like crazy because all my sources again all my sources are from uh you know, well, people from the military academies, the war colleges, or the elite universities, all of them. Right. All of them. So, yeah, I'm such a conspiracy theorist that all the books I mentioned were major textbooks back in their decade. And, and, and George, again, thank you. I look forward to visiting with you uh, later in the week. But also, uh, I believe good will win. Uh, I believe that there is enough good in the world, and I believe that uh, good will win. So um, with that, any last thoughts, George, as we close this session down on the seven Ps? Oh, the trucker march? uh, Yes. We'll go to the border. Well, a lot of people are already headed that way. Right. Um, Get a Yeah, I'm in Texas, so I'll go to that one. Right. And um, yeah, we'll do another video after that and do more discussions on on mass migration and then and then get back to the energy logistics and Eurasia of Russia 
if because Bush there, said, if you're down there, let me know and I'll go yeah. um, from there. Yeah, because on the energy front, and I guess close it out on this, um, Japan went ahead and started buying oil from Vladivostok. That's right. In rubles, yep. just a couple of weeks ago. Yep. So that as far as the United States keep maintaining their allies on both axial ends of, of Eurasia, yep. if the AFD wins on one side, Japan's already buying oil. The person who is building the pipelines and um, and first buying oil and natural gas from Sakhalin Island and Vladivostok is was Abe. You noticed he died. Oh yeah. What? Okay, last year. Yep. So then, the South Koreans that are talking about buying oil and natural gas from Russia, that guy just got stabbed in the neck. Right. So. Whoever does this seems to have an untimely end. I'm about to share something here real quick. I'm not putting forth any. I'm just making correlations. I'm not saying a cause. Oh, no. Uh, yeah. You know, just whoever tries to do that seems to either end up dead or they have their countries invaded and end up dead or. Right. They just end up dead somehow. Okay, I'm going to share my screen here again. And real quick, I just for our podcast listeners, I am zooming in to um, the pipeline monitor. There are 2,177 pipeline projects. I'm zooming into China, and then you can zoom into there are the LNG terminals. Here is the import terminals in Japan. And then here is the straight, if you'll take, this is what you were talking about right here. Is that correct? Correct. So as we come in, there's this uh, Sockland Oblast, and you'll see that if they do bring this in, this is going to be connected to a Russia. And this is what is, this is the last piece of this puzzle in order to get it to Japan. And you look at the proposed yeah. pipelines and what's under construction right now. You can take a look at China and holy smokes, they're putting natural mm -hmm. gas in everywhere. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So, all right. Mm -hmm. Zoom into the Northern Island of Hokkaido up by Sapporo. Yeah, there you go. Just a little bit North. Abe in 2016 was with Putin. And again, I, I couldn't really find anything in English. Right. But Masako Ganaha, um, Michael Yan's wife, right. looked at it in Japanese. And then, yeah, you got a handful of stories that pop up. And then the writers keep on talking about how come the mainstream press isn't writing about this? Well, right. back in 2016, he was going to do a pipeline deal. Oh, uh, move it toward the northern end of that island. Hang on. Let me get back to it. Yeah, I'm sorry. Oh, no. Here we go. Uh, no, uh, to the northern end of the island now. Okay. Yeah. They were going to build a pipeline from the northern end down to Hakodoto, you know, oh, yeah. through Sapporo. Yeah. And then they were going to do a pipeline into the Japanese main island of, of, of Nippon. Right. Yeah, there you go. All the way to Tokyo. And just like Nord Stream, they were leaned on 
and told not to do it. Wow. So Abe started building pipelines and LNG ports anyway. Right. If so, there's any kind of war in the Pacific, they know that they are going to be cut off. Why did World War II start? Because Japan, with a smaller navy and being cut off from potentially being cut off from rubber and oil, right. would go into such an economic disaster that tens of millions of people would die. So they went to war instead to take over the resources, invaded Manchuria, the Philippines, right? Uh, French Indochina at the time, and all the way down to Singapore to take over those key resources. So now they want to avoid this this time. So now they're starting to ignore the U.S. and buy oil and Russian gas from Russia in case they get a war with the China. So the Chinese strategy is, of course, is to chase Japan and South Korea into the arms of Russia, which which they're doing. Okay. The Kushida government went ahead and bought, or you know, did contracts ahead of time. Right. So that's no doubt they're getting uh, threats and lectures. Is generally um, what happens. And well, then you have uh, the Biden administration Friday cutting out exports on LNG, and that is such a disaster. For, for uh, our, I would not want to be an ally of the U.S. right now. Not with this administration. Again, when you when you uh, the ruling coalitions, the neoconservatives, neoliberals, the far left. The far okay, the what unites them all is they all want big government, right? And they want to wipe out Christianity, North America, Europe, and and Russia. They won't admit that they'll they'll gaslight you on crazy on that. Go right. back, go back to Rousseau and go through Gramsci, go through uh, go through the Frankfurt New School, right. uh, Foucault and Derrida, their deconstructionalism, every iteration of leftism retains those three items of Rousseau. Right. So every time they change it, that stays the same. It's just that they rebrand it and re and reformulate the strategy, but keep on going with the seven P plan. Right. All right. So I want, I'm focusing on people, what the constants and variables are so they can recognize it whenever it pops up. <laughs> so you have, the leftists pursuing the Green New Deal to bring about the Cloward and Piven plan. So controlling agriculture and energy is part of the Cloward and Piven plan, right? Right. So then how are the other factions responding to that? Well, the neo is totally undermining the neoconservatives because they want to be the world's superpower. Right. So they can't be superpower if they don't have, if they lose their allies in Western Europe and in the first island chain yeah, in the Pacific. That is correct. So out of the ruling coalition, you have the far left totally undermining the neoconservative right. in every step of the way. So again, it, it is chaotic. And this is what people need to be looking at. Okay. So if they win this time, they finish the seven Ps, but then they implode themselves in the United States at the same time. Again, we don't need to lose to Russia. And Ch Russia and China already know this. Oh, yeah. Um, Putin is pretty funny when he's talking about the U.S. and our politics. But with that, 
let's go ahead and cut it down because you and I could talk for another two or three hours and um, we will record again later this week, George. So thank you. Tell me when. Sounds fantastic.